Dear friends in Christ, our sky is darkened today. As we go now in our series to Calvary, Calvary, the place of the three crosses. And to us in the, the Christian era, the times that we live in, nearly 2,000 years now, almost at that point, from that memorable day, there's one cross that stands out, but you know, that wouldn't have been seen to the casual spectator on that particular first Good Friday morning. They saw three crosses. And there were three crucifixions to be carried out. It was the Roman form of execution that was done in that day. It was meant to be a public spectacle to warn others of what happens when you disobey the law to an extreme. It was a horrible death. And the victims, they would be out in this public place being taunted, hanging there for usually two to three days. We might wonder what led the rulers to crucify Jesus with those thieves. Was it accidental? Was it a coincidence, perhaps, that there were three men condemned at the same time, and maybe the captain of the military thought, well, let's get it out of the way. Let's do all three together. Or was crucifying Jesus with common criminals a final act of cruelty that his own enemies had placed upon him? Maybe they calculated they wanted to really heighten the, the cruelty, the shame, and humiliate Jesus even further in that crowd that he's in front of. You know, one can only imagine a passerby and others putting down Jesus by saying, well, let's, let's crucify him with thieves. I like that idea. That's a good one. Well, we don't know how it came about, but we do know one thing. Jesus did not die alone. There were three crosses on that hill at Calvary. And the crosses were the same, and the method of execution was the same. But how vast a difference there was in those three crosses. And let's take a look at each of them in turn. In Matthew's Gospel, he tells us that the men, they were violent robbers, those two thieves. And along with the chief priests and the teachers and the onlookers, they ended up heaping insults on Jesus. They saw Jesus being no better than themselves. We know that both men, you know, they, they wanted to be saved. They didn't want to have to face the death that was ahead of them. And so each man in his own way is, is you know, sort of saying to Jesus, save us. Well, yet in the meaning behind those requests, that meaning is very different. The tough criminal, he's the one who says, aren't you the Christ? Save us and save yourself. And on the surface, it looks like an honest petition. And yet it's filled with sarcasm and condemnation. And when we take a deeper look at it, he's probably really saying, get me out of this mess. I don't regret what I've done. I only regret being caught. I don't mind what I am. I just mind where I am right now. I'm only interested in comfort now. And I'm not sure that you're the king of anything unless you do what I tell you to do and free me so that I can continue my rebellious life. That's the cross of the man who mocked Jesus in his hour of humiliation and shame. And this dying thief, he was a shameless criminal. 
He was hardened in sin. Even in this gloomy hour of death, what's he doing? He can't keep giving harsh words toward Jesus. He could see Jesus, and he could hear Jesus pray for his murderer's pardon. We know that Jesus' mother was at the cross, and that thief could see that Jesus was more concerned about his mother than himself. And still the thief, he didn't have any remorse, and he continued to hurl these insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save us and save yourself. He was bitter. I would say he was probably cursing his way all the way to hell at that point, in the most solemn hour of history. His was a cross of rebellion. The other thief with him, he said that their condemnation was fully deserved. But this rebel, he wouldn't even learn from that. He was in a unique position of dying with the Savior of the world. He had the chance even then to receive forgiveness. But he threw it away. The thief, he made his last choice in life. And that choice was going to last forever. His was a cross of rebellion. But there was a second cross, too. It was the cross of repentance. And there was something that must have happened with that other criminal that really changed his life. Next to him was a man without violence. He heard him praying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And somehow, somehow something clicked in that man's mind. It comes together. He hears Jesus saying, Father, God, forgiveness. Is Jesus perhaps the one who he really says he is? Those words, forgive them. Now, who would pray for forgiveness for someone who is murdering you, executing you? Jesus would. And his words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They were true. They were honest. And that thief next to him there, he must have thought, you know, I can understand that, but what about me? What about me on this cross? So he questions the tough guy. You know, he says to the other thief, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? Somehow that man in the middle cross had become God. Initially, nobody could tell the difference between the the two criminals who were being crucified with Jesus. But then there's a twist, and this man proclaims that Jesus has done nothing wrong. He says, we're guilty. He's not. The Bible passage in Luke says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he asks Jesus prayerfully, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Maybe he was asking Jesus just for a little bit more room for him in heaven. Perhaps it's like saying, maybe save a place in the corner for me. I'll be happy there. But that's not what he'll get. As Jesus tells him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. What an awesome statement that is. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is hanging next to this thief. They've been humiliated and stripped, and people were yelling and screaming, and 
probably even throwing stones, little rocks at them. And there was pain and agony in every breath, every movement they were making on the crosses. And this thief looks over to Jesus, and in spite of what Jesus looked like, he believed that someday he would enter into the kingdom with Jesus. And over Jesus' head was that sign we saw in the gospel reading. You know, this is the king of the Jews. And yet nobody looked less like a king than Jesus. In fact, he looked probably like the the lowest of slaves. And this is what makes the story all the more amazing, this account in the scriptures. Amazing for us because it appears that, you know, this thief, he probably never got to hear Jesus preach or teach to see him heal people and raise the dead, to see Jesus performing miracles, and yet in spite of all that, he still believed. It's a desperate moment. This man's a criminal. He knows it. His days are numbered. He knows that too. He's approaching the edge of his life. He's awaiting God and judgment. He knows that. Desperate moments, they call for desperate times. It's like in uh, a war, if you're a pinned-down army brigade, you're making a last no-holds-barred type of charge. Or perhaps it's going to be the seventh game of an upcoming Stanley Cup, and it's the third period, you're down, there's a minute to go, it's time to pull the goalie and get six forwards up there to go against your opponent. Because you know that you're running out of second chances. And so this desperate man, this convicted criminal, you know, he finds the words to say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a huge confession there. Because it's saying that Jesus would be living beyond the cross. The cross for Jesus was the entranceway to power in a kingdom that's beyond the world that we live in today. We know that. It reminds me of another account way back in Genesis chapter 40. It talks about Joseph. And he's in jail with two other men. And the other two are released. And Joseph, he grabs their hand and he says, Remember me. Remember me and show me kindness. And mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Well, his cellmates forgot And it was only two years later that one of them finally remembered and he got released. But hear Jesus' words. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say maybe or we'll see or okay, someday I'll do that. Jesus is the one who doesn't say, why should I do that? And he definitely doesn't say absolutely not. Instead, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. It's an absolute guarantee that would be served up in a moment. And the convicted thief, he can relax. We don't hear him say any more words, do we? No more words need to be said. It's okay for him now. It's eternally okay. That cross of repentance, it really teaches us some valuable truths. It teaches us that the way of salvation is wondrously simple. The devil has blinded the eyes of men and women to thinking that it's hard to be saved. 
that it's difficult to believe in Jesus to be, to be a Christian. But it's entirely not true. The words of his requests. There's an attitude of repentance here as he threw himself on the mercy of Jesus. He believed that the Lord could and would save him. And he committed himself to the Lord and he trusted Jesus to save him. Paul tells the Romans and us, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all that's necessary to salvation. Repentance and faith in Christ and what he has done for us. That cross of repentance, it reminds us that the worst criminal may be saved. There's no doubt that the man was a criminal. And even today, we should never let a person think that they are so bad that they cannot be saved. The hymn writer, to God be the glory of him that you know very well. You know, he really puts it so well when he says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. The cross of repentance speaks of hope and assurance, but it's only made possible by the third cross on that hill that was outside that city wall of Jerusalem. And that leads us to the cross of redemption. Jesus' life had really been under the closest inspection of his bitter enemies. And yet, no flaw was revealed about Jesus. At his trial, there were really no grounds that were truly established to have him condemned. And the crowning testimony of his innocence was both at the beginning and the end of his ministry. When his Father from heaven speaks with a loud voice, This is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. Well, why then did Jesus die? St. Paul says this. He says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Him who knew no sin, God made to be sin. And he did that on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. This tells us beyond a doubt that God took the initiative for our redemption. It was in a way that was incapable of us really understanding it. And yet God caused his own son to be identified with human sin. Your sin, my sin, our sin. He did that in order that we might become identified with what? With righteousness. God's righteousness. The middle cross was the cross of redemption. And the death of Jesus was quite different from those other two victims. You know, they died without any choice regarding the matter. Their lives were being taken away from them. But it was quite different with Jesus. Even before his crucifixion, back in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it again. And I lay it down of my own accord. Calvary That was the theater of a battle. But the question is, who was defeated? Well, in the year 1815, there was a great battle of Waterloo. And all of England was waiting for the result. And it was arranged that as soon as the news would reach the country, 
it would be rushed over to a place called Winchester and then signaled to other towns by semaphore flags from the cathedral spire. And the semaphore flags are just these little flags and they do all these fancy things. Each letter is given. And so the great moment arrived and the words were spelled out letter by letter, Wellington defeated. And then suddenly that spire where they were doing the flags, it was shrouded by fog. And the country was now filled with gloom because they were thinking that that was the end of the message. It wasn't good for them. After a while, the fog lifted and the the message was completed. Wellington defeated the enemy. Those last words made all the difference in the world for those people. At Calvary, the devil tried to make out the message, Christ defeated. That would have been the case if Good Friday was the end of the story. But we know that on that next Sunday, on that first day of the week, a resurrection took place, and it proved that the message of the cross of redemption was really Christ defeated the enemy. There were many people who were instrumental in Christ's crucifixion. There were the teachers of the law who hated him, the traitor who sold him, the priests who bought him, even the disciples who deserted him. But the story remains. And it's just in our heads only, unless we admit, I was there too. Christianity is nothing at all if it's not personal. We must be able to say with the Apostle Paul how he called Jesus, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In a very real sense that Calvary, we were all there. And it was because of my sins and yours which took Jesus to the cross. In fact, it was the sin of the whole world. It was all the accumulated anger and envy and bitterness and evil. But each person must, for himself or herself, stand alone and be personally identified with the cross and be able to say, my sin. The message of the cross to the world of Paul's day It was really offensive. We know, he says, to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. It was a symbol of weakness and humiliation and defeat. And the Greeks, they had a problem with the cross too because it really offended their sense of reason. They thought that there was no sane person who would ever imagine and believe a kind of tale like God coming and dying on a cross. A crucified God It justifies reason. The non-Christian, he would say that God would never involve himself in a world like this with Jesus doing that. But Jesus' cross is the message which God has called us to believe in, to proclaim, to really live out our lives for him. And it's on that cross of redemption that Jesus has done all that was needed to be done, everything that was possible for our salvation. You and I see him with those outstretched arms. They're waiting to give forgiveness to all who call upon him in repentance and faith. For you see, we're really not a lot different from that thief on the cross who was given the promise of Jesus. It's an interesting thing when you read the scriptures. The Bible never tells us what kind of crime that he committed. He was given a generic label, 
It's a label that could easily have your name or my name on it. Each of us, we could look at ourselves as we hear Jesus pray, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Thanks be to God that he's forgiven us. And like that thief, you know, we could also say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sing that with me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for giving us peace and joy because of who you are and what you accomplished on that cross for us. Bless us, Lord. May we be bold to proclaim the name of Jesus to all so that others, too, might get away from rebellious lives instead have repentant lives knowing that there is much beyond this world. There is eternity. And we pray that they too would join us in that family of Christ in heaven someday. Be with us as we walk this journey of life now, Lord. In your precious name we pray, amen.